Does the AFC North already belong to the Baltimore Ravens? We talk about that and so much more coming up on this episode of Locked on Ravens. You are Locked on Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into another edition of Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Here I'm your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire here on the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you, as always, for tuning in here on Locked On Ravens, making us your first listen each and every day on the channel. We're free and available all podcasting platforms, whether you're listening to us in audio form, watching in video form on YouTube. Today's episode of Locked On Ravens is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, use code LOCKEDONNFL for $20 off your first purchase. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Here we it is a midweek edition of the show and here to break down some Ravens with us is Jake Luke of exit 52 the jumbo set Jake the Ravens pick up a big win on Thursday night they now have I think a really nice stretch of just rest one game in 24 days which I think they deserve at this point I, I'm excited for how the season's going to unfold for them and I think for the Ravens they must be feeling pretty good all things considered about being an eight and three football team right now yeah I mean if it's felt like a grind for them for sure I mean all these games in a row, no bye week. You have to go to London. You got to go out west to uh, play the Cardinals in the desert. You know, a lot of just a lot of travel, a lot going on with this team. And yeah, like you mentioned, a nice little bit of rest here this past weekend after they take care of their business on Thursday night. Tip the scales back in their favor a little bit after that disappointment against the Browns. And then Chargers coming up and then you're looking at a nice bye. And, uh, you know, they're going to need it. They've got a tough schedule here down the stretch, but uh, it feels like things are looking pretty good for them right now. I know when the, when the schedule came out, I was kind of saying, well, I, I, my, my sweet spot for the buys like week nine, week 10, week 11, like right in the middle of the season. But to, to have this stretch of games where, you know, you travel, you talked about it to London, to Baltimore, to Arizona, to Baltimore, it's a lot. Everybody's injured at this point in the season. And for the teams who had the buys in like week six and week seven, they must be feeling not so great having to deal with all that football consecutively. But I think it's an underrated aspect of what the Ravens have because it's a tough stretch of games after the bye, but they're going to have a lot of time to kind of nurse, I guess, some of those minor dings that you have. Yeah, it's almost like uh, going through an entire college semester in the fall when you don't really get a day off, right? And then all of a sudden that that week rolls around for Thanksgiving. Maybe you, you can cut a couple classes, get home for a full week, and uh, you're feeling good, ready to uh, attack that final stretch of the semester. Yeah, that's a, that, that's a, that's a good way to put it because – for Baltimore now, we know that they, they were pretty healthy from like week three to week nine or 10. They suffered a lot of injuries early in the season, but then Marlon goes down, Ronnie Stanley goes down. We got the injuries in the Bengals game, which we'll talk about. But with the AFC North, Jake, it feels like, you know, a bunch of people have had the conversation about the Ravens in the AFC North, especially earlier on in the season where it's, oh, it feels like they're in the driver's seat and a lot can happen. And still, the season's not over. I don't want to hand them the North crown without the season unfolding first. But it feels like the Ravens are still in that driver's seat, being an eight and three football team. Now Cleveland is seven and three. They signed uh, the the king of Baltimore, Mr. Joe Flacco, to the practice squad. So I'm I'm hoping the Ravens don't have to see any of January Joe in in the playoffs. I think that'd be a tragedy for everybody involved. But Pittsburgh is six and four. Kenny Pickett does not look like the answer. I know they have the tiebreaker over the Ravens. We'll see if Mike Tomlin can do his voodoo magic in week 18. And as he always seems to do with that Pittsburgh team and Cincinnati with Joe Burrow out of the fold, I just, that they are five and five, three games off of the win column. 
with the Ravens. Plus, their division record is 0-3, so I don't really see a path for them right now. Do you feel like the Ravens are all but the champs of, champs of this division unless there's some epic collapse, or do you think that the Browns or the Steelers have a realistic shot to win it? Yeah, as far as the division goes, I definitely would give uh, the Ravens their favor right now, but I do look at the Browns definitely as a very serious playoff contender. Uh, Steelers, I'd call them a playoff contender. I don't know if I'd say they're uh, very serious ones right now with the way that Kenny Pickett is looking. It's just it looks really rough for them. I think some of those chickens are coming home to roost. You mentioned that Mike Tomlin voodoo. The guy could moonwalk his way to nine wins, and maybe they'll still do that. And honestly, I'd probably expect them to still do that, but it is not going to look pretty on offense. And they were really due to take one like that, uh, like they did to the Browns with DTR uh, being in there doing what he did. But it's interesting with the Browns because I think they really could pull some pull some wins together here, get to 10 or 11. And I think I, I'd really expect them to continue to try to do what they're doing with Dorian Thompson Robinson until the wheels kind of fall off that wagon. They were at least able to move him around a little bit. Feels like he's a pretty good fit in that Kevin Stefanski offense. I think once upon a time, Joe might have been. But uh, he's a little bit older, a little bit more uh, immobile. And I think really what they're probably going to try to do is just gear him up here, have him learn this offense, you know, get him comfortable. And then, like I said, when those DTR wheels kind of fall off, maybe you plug him in there. He's got the experience like we all know very much about. And uh, if he has to play like maybe a play in game or, you know, if, if they do make it to the playoffs, maybe he would be the guy to step in there. So, yeah, Browns, I mean, they're, they're a very, very talented roster. Steelers are, are talented on defense. I think they have some issues on offense. They're not quite as uh, quite as juiced up on that side of the ball as they were maybe five years ago. So, yeah, as far as the pecking order, I definitely would go round uh, Ravens, Browns, Steelers, just like the records indicate right now. But, uh, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah. And for the Browns schedule, Jake, I mean, you have the Browns with the Broncos coming up and Russell Wilson has that Broncos country riding right now with uh, how he's been able to pull them back. Then you have the Rams, the Jaguars, the Bears, the Texans, the Jets, the Bengals. So, I mean, look, the Broncos last year would have been for most teams an easy win. It's not going to be the case this time around. The Jaguars are obviously going to be a good team. They're going to have to play the Texans. CJ Stroud has those guys humming. And I know that he has looked a lot better his rookie season than some people thought. But for the Browns and the Ravens schedule-wise, we know the Ravens have a tough schedule after their bye. Even though the Ravens and Browns don't play again, I think people look to that Pittsburgh game in Week 18 if it comes down to a division tiebreaker between Pittsburgh and Baltimore. Pittsburgh's schedule, I think, compared to most teams, is a little easier. But with Mike Tomlin, you kind of never know how that goes. Do you think the division could come down to a Week 18 showdown? I honestly, I'm not really expecting it, even not having the Steelers uh, schedule in front of me. It just feels like the vibes are really bad right there, uh, there right now, I should say, uh, with the way that Pickett's play has really regressed. I mean, he wasn't really lighting the fire, uh, lighting the world on fire to begin with. Uh, and now, like I said, it just feels like a chicken's coming home to roost thing. This defense is still good. TJ Watt is still going to have two sacks in the fourth quarter of every game. And, you know, it's they're going to make it difficult. But I don't know. I just think that. I always thought the ceiling was pretty limited there. I still kind of feel that way. And with the way that, you know, George Pickens has been acting a little bit throughout the season at times, I don't know. It just feels like the the vibes are a little bit off in Pittsburgh right now. They're not quite used to this, uh, you know, quarterback drought that they've been experiencing. I think there was a lot of people, certainly in Pittsburgh and even around the NFL, really selling themselves on this idea of Kenny Pickett being a thing. And I think uh, we're starting to see that that really probably isn't going to be the case. I think a lot of teams have tough decisions this offseason, too, because if you're not sure on a guy like Kenny Pickett, like what's that going to look like, too? Teams have tough decisions because with the quarterback class that's coming up, you got some free agents in there that could also help you be at least competitive. I don't know. I, I feel like 
the Steelers, if Kenny Pickett doesn't turn it around, this might be the end of the line for him, which I don't know. That that class was pretty much just Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis, and both those guys really haven't panned out for either of those teams. Yeah, no, it's uh, you really like the way the NFL works is the quarterback is just these days he's just the lottery ticket, right? He's the meal ticket, and uh, the way the positional value has just completely elevated them up, that's where you get a guy like Kenny Pickett going 20th overall or whatever it was. And that's where you get a Malik Willis going in the third round when uh, realistically uh, if the league were maybe tilted a little bit more to the way that it was 20 years ago, these guys wouldn't have gone uh, nearly where they went. So yeah, it's just uh, it's one of those things where, sorry, Pittsburgh, you, you took a gamble on the, uh, on a pit quarterback after you missed out on doing that with Dan Marino and um, you chased your tail on that one a little bit because uh, I, I think it worked out a little bit better for the Dolphins way back in the day than it did for you here. Yeah, maybe maybe just a, a little bit. But let, let's take it a step further, Jake. Let's talk AFC in general because I think for a lot of people, depending on how you view Jacksonville and, and how good you think Jacksonville is, looks like maybe a two-team race for the top seed in the AFC between the Ravens and the Chiefs. We will see how it unfolds right now. And obviously to have home field advantage throughout the playoffs – for the Ravens would be huge. I think everybody knows what going to Arrowhead is like, and everybody knows what coming to MT Bank Stadium is like too. But then you look at teams like the Dolphins and the Jaguars as kind of those two that are lurking behind. Do, do you sense any threat in those two teams to be challengers for the top seed? Do you think it is Ravens Chiefs right now? I do. I do sense a little bit of them. I don't have their records in front of me. And this is weird. Like, I feel like I don't know how you feel about this or how much you've been what your kind of viewing habits have been with the NFL. I feel like I haven't seen hide nor hair of the Jaguars like anywhere. Like, have they had many primetime games? Have they been on red zone a ton? Not really for me. They had the Toy Story game, which I watched a little bit of, which, you know, that was a fun broadcast. It was a kind of a disgrace in some other ways. Uh, And, you know, I was with a crowd that was more inclined to watch the Toy Story broadcast. So I had to watch that. But I don't know. They're to me. I feel like, and this is just kind of a gut feeling take, but I feel like the Jaguars are kind of more than the sum of their parts right now. I almost feel like the Dolphins are a little bit less than the sum of their parts right now. Uh, it feels like the Dolphins are kind of a finesse team. They struggle to run the ball a little bit, and I think the stats do, in fact, back that up. And then it feels like the Jaguars just kind of, they get it done by hook and by crook. I think Trevor Lawrence is quietly p- playing some pretty good football. There's a, a, a little bit of debate around him, not really a ton for a former first overall pick. I think that's the effect of being down in the Jacksonville Pontevedra area. But, you know, uh, Doug, Doug Peterson just has those guys playing pretty well. But the Dolphins are always going to be a tough out, man. I mean, I think Ravens fans are going to be eternally scarred by what happened in that uh, week two game uh, last season in 2022. So I don't know, man, if you've got weapons in 2023 and you've got a quarterback in Tua who can get the ball to them at least semi-effectively, which he seems to have a handle on uh, this season. And if Tua can stay healthy, which is another big wild card, uh, they'll, they'll always be a threat to me. And then I think the Jaguars, I got a lot of respect for Peterson, got a lot of respect for Trevor Lawrence. Uh, they're, they're always going to be a team to, to consider. And the NFL is just so week to week right now, right? It's very easy to sit here after the Ravens effectively just kind of poured the dirt on the grave of the Bengals season on Thursday night. And you take a week off and you get to watch a little red zone and it's, it's a non-stressful Sunday and the Ravens are eight and three. And it's like, oh man, this is great. You know, looks like things are great. It's just like how back in whatever week that was when they were heading into Pittsburgh. And it's like, oh man, they could maybe potentially get this division wrapped up real quick. All they got to do is just go into Pittsburgh and win. Look how great everything is. And then uh, the the Murphy's Law game happens and you're left uh, questioning uh, questioning your mortality and whatever else that game brought about for a lot of people, for me certainly. So I don't know, man. Very week-to-week league. Let's not get too ahead of ourselves. I think it's the Ravens and the Chiefs as the favorites right now, but a lot can happen. So Yeah, both the Dolphins and the Jaguars at 7-3 and three, alongside Cleveland. So Cleveland's in that conversation too, which is more of a division topic. But you're right. I mean, 
I know Travis Etienne is having an awesome season, but I haven't really seen a ton of Jacksonville. Like it just doesn't feel like they've been just, maybe I'm just not watching the right things. I don't know, but it just doesn't. They're a crouching tiger right now, man. That's, that's a good place to be in when you're playing good football and you're winning games. And like, not a lot of people are talking about you, especially after what they did last year. I mean, they, they had that big comeback against the chargers. They win a playoff game. They give the chiefs a tough time at arrowhead. feels like the, the hype is not matching up with what I think they deserve right now. Yeah. I think last year they were kind of that team that like shocked the world. Like everyone's like, Oh wow. wasn't expecting Jacksonville to be here. And you kind of expected more from them in terms of the hype they were going to get, but it feels like they're just underdogs again, which, Hey, you know what? We know the Ravens like to play that underdog role. So other teams like to play it too. Jacksonville certainly has that to them right now. Coming up though, in the second part of the show, we'll talk a bit more about that Ravens and Bengals game. Wrap it up. Let me sure to stay tuned. Plan to talk about on lockdown Ravens. First, this episode of Locked on Ravens is brought to you by Game Time, and I've had plenty of frustrating ticket-buying experiences before. Sometimes the seats weren't good, I couldn't find last-minute tickets, sometimes there are just no good deals either, but you shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you, with current last-minute deals all in prices, views from your seat, and the best price guarantee. Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. And there's a ton of stuff to look forward to on the Game Time app. Obviously, the Ravens are traveling to Los Angeles this week, so there's not a Ravens game in town, but there are plenty of concerts over there. Plus, they have last-minute tickets, flash deals, zone deals, and more. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. They're obsessed with finding ways to help you save money on tickets. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts is the place to find last-minute seats. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with the game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNFL for $20 off for his purchase terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LOCKDOWNNFL, spelled L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-F-L for $20 off. Download game time to last-minute tickets, lowest price guarantee. We're back here, our second segment of Locked on Ravens. Kevin O'Shaker still here with Jake Luke. And Jake, there's a lot to talk about with the Ravens and the Bengals game. It was, I think, a typical Thursday night game. You got injuries, you got weird calls, just an ugly, sloppy game. But it was a Ravens blowout, honestly, 34-20. to 20, Ravens take it. We know what happened with Joe Burrow. And as you talked about in the first segment, effectively kind of shoveling the dirt on the, on the Bengals season this year. But you also talked about having the, I'd say, flexibility. Because if the Ravens had lost that game against the Bengals, was not going to be a fun week on social media. It was not going to be great, but it wasn't going to end their season. But they win this game, and they do it in a fashion that was a little concerning early on because it seemed like Joe Burrow was kind of walking down the defense a little bit. Joe Mixon was getting his. But then Jake Browning comes in the game, and the Ravens defense, I think, understood the assignment, which is Jake Browning has one career pass attempt coming into this. Don't let him beat you and shut down their only other weapon in Joe Mixon, and that's kind of the game. Yeah, pretty much. It seemed that way. And uh, as we discussed before we got going here, I wasn't able to watch it live, but going back and watching forward and and or watching it um, back, it definitely seemed that way. And it, it felt that way. Like I told you, I wasn't watching it, but I was following on Twitter a little bit. I saw the Burrow injury. I didn't know the extent of it. And then uh, I think somebody in our group chat, the X52 group chat, uh, put the tweet in there that Burrow's done for the night. I was like, ah, okay, I can probably put the phone away here. I think the Ravens uh, got this one locked up. I'm going to go back to my dinner. So. <laughs> and that's kind of what it was because, and we know the Ravens, Jake, it's usually what well, we know. First of all, Mike McDonald has the Bengals number and continuously dominates against them and Joe Burrow. But with Jake Browning, it's even more impressive because 
you would think, all right, just force feed the ball to Jamar Chase, just kind of figure out how to get him going. But in two Marlon Humphrey-less matchups against this Ravens defense, Jamar Chase, seven catches, 43 yards, and that garbage time touchdown. I mean, you got to give a shout out to Brandon Stevens for what he was able to do there because he was the primary man in the Ravens secondary, which is the best in the league right now, continues to shut down these top level receivers. Yeah, and he was a forgotten man uh, when you really think back to the offseason. I think it's easy to forget now that he's played well consistently throughout the year, uh, going all the way back to that first Cleveland game. Um, it was all, you know, Rocky Sin. He's the big signing. He's the big name. He's going to come in and do this. Then it was Ronald Darby who was making some plays early on in the season. And both those guys have had their moments. I think Yasin has maybe struggled a little bit here and there, but it's been okay because Stevens has kind of, he's done what a lot of Ravens third round picks have quietly done, which is they come in, they don't really do much. They kind of, people start to question whether it's Ozzy or Eric, what, you know, what are we doing here with this third round pick that didn't really seem to make a ton of sense. And then all of a sudden, three years have gone down the line. They've gotten a little bit of experience under their belt. They know what's going on in the meeting rooms. And when it's time to get called into action, uh, you know, a lot of these guys, whether it's the Darius Smith way back in the day or some of these, you know, any number of dudes, uh, when they get their their moment, they come in there and shine. And uh, good on Brandon Stevens. It was really needed this year. And good on Mike McDonald for uh, for getting the best out of a player like that. Speaking of forgotten, I think that people forget that he was supposed to play safety again this year. They were going to move him and play safety, but the, Marlon goes down. They had other injuries in their corner room, and they were like, look, we just we can't afford to have Brandon Stevens play safety, so they move him to corner again. And it's kind of been the flip-flopping. Obviously, played running back the first two years in college, switches over to corner, comes in the league. The Ravens say, well, you're going to play safety. Second year, say, all right, never mind. We're moving you back to corner. And now it's the safety corner switch this offseason. I mean – how much change did this guy have to go through to get to this point? The answer is a lot, and I think that's what makes it more impressive. Yeah, it's a very it, – there's nothing more, John, than, you know, trying to, you know, pigeonhole a corner at safety, you know, in certain times, whether it was Lardarius Webb or Corey Graham at times. I think some of these other guys, it's just John is just addicted to saying, like, oh, yeah, he's, you know, he's going to be a great safety for us. It's like, well, John, let, let's maybe, you know, double-click on that a little bit and see if we can get some run out of this guy at the more valuable position. Yeah, I remember Jimmy Smith, late in his career, they tried to move him over to safety and have that be his role. So it's the versatility for sure. But what's your take on the Yassin signing, Jake? It feels like he struggled in training camp, and I think that's kind of where it started. And then you see the Humphrey injury, but he just wasn't playing. And, I mean, we talked about Stevens. He's been playing awesome. Ronald Darby, when he's had to step up, he's been incredible this season. But we've seen Yassin struggle in game action, multiple penalties. He got signed to a $6 million contract, or at least it was up to $6 million. So you would assume he'd get more of a shot. But it just seems like he hasn't really been favored by the coaching staff since the first week of the season. Yeah, it's uh, it's been disappointing, I think. But I think they're saving grace in it. And it feels like this is a change in Eric's philosophy a little bit in recent years as opposed to when he first started. He's sort of doubling down on the dart throws. He's not just, you know, making one dart throw and then saying like, okay, well, this is going to be the guy. And if it doesn't work out, then we're screwed. It's like, no, he did a dart throw with Yassine and then he did one with Darby and they play the same position. And he threw a dart with Jadavian Clowney and he threw a dart with Kyle Van Noy and they've both worked out. I mean, and it's a situation where if you look at the corner room, it hasn't really worked out thus far with Yassine, but it worked out with Darby okay. So, like, don't be afraid to, like, make these dart throws. Don't be afraid to spend a little bit of that vet minimum and dip into whatever you have to do. He, I mean, Odell Beckham was probably a freaking dart throw, and they had to pay that guy $15 million a year. But he also signed Nelson Aguilar. It's a dart throw. You know, you're, you're doubling down on these veteran guys who can be kind of the rank-and-file field fillers to go out there and play an important role for you and do it effectively. You know, they're not setting the world on fire necessarily, but you stack enough of those guys up. You've got a professional roster that is confident and is capable. And when a guy like you is struggling a little bit, you've got somebody else to pick up the weight. So yeah, a disappointing move. 
it's just the timing was weird with the way Marcus Peters' career has been winding down, and I think they certainly made the right move in letting him walk when you look at his play. Everybody loves Marcus as a guy, myself included, but it was time to move on, I think. And so, you know, I, I just think that Dukoff's strategy overall has really helped him out in that regard. I think if he had just kind of made the one dart throw, like I said, it, it certainly could have blown up in their face a bit, but I think he was much more prepared uh, for it not to work out than he has been in years past with some of these types of moves. Yeah, and they, they've been stacking depth for a while, but I think you're right. That is a new shift in things. And even you can go to the draft a little bit. They take Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison in the same draft, first and third round. Isaiah Likely and Charlie Cole are essentially back-to-back. -back. And teams do that all the time. I'm not saying it's this revelation that only Eric Nacosta does, but I think it's a good philosophy to have because sometimes it doesn't work out. Dennis Pitta was a better tight end than Ed Dixon. They took Dixon before Pitta. It's, it's almost like an insurance policy, whether it's the draft or free agency. But Jake, I think a really promising thing has been the, I, I'll call it a reemergence of Odell and Rashad Bateman. Both those guys struggled early in the season, had injuries. And to me, part of it was it's a new system. Both get injured for Odell. Didn't have nearly as much chemistry with Lamar because obviously it's their first season playing together, but Odell has his first a hundred plus yard receiving game since 2021. Rashad Bateman gets his first touchdown of the year in the Bengals game. What have you seen improvement wise from those two? Yeah, Odell and Odell came out and said, I forgot, it might have been in a media availability or something like that, but he disclosed that they had come to him and said, hey, man, like we're just going to need you down the stretch here. OK, like we know you're coming back from your injury. It's it's going to be a little bit of a transition process. Don't get frustrated. Right. We're going to pull you out of this Bengals game in week two when you feel like you can play, you can still go. And that's frustrating, I know, but we need you in these bigger games. And funny enough, when does he have his first 100 yard game against the Bengals? down the line in, you know, what at the time felt like a, a potential division championship type game. Uh, so that's when he shows out. And I think that was a smart strategy by them. Good on him for checking his ego at the door. I know uh, we all love Odell, but that's probably difficult for him to do. Uh, and it's working out for him right now, man. The vibes are, uh, the vibes are good. He's put his head down. He's worked. And I think he showed that he really loves football. Like he doesn't just want to be a celebrity, right? Which I think a lot of people, uh, a lot of people accuse him of, you know, he went he won that ring in 2021 and he probably could have just said, you know what, I got the catch. I got the ring. I could probably just make millions and millions upon, you know, my uh, name, image and likeness, uh, whatever the buzzword is. I could just go be an influencer and date Kim Kardashian and that's my career and that's my life. But no, he's he's turned into a family man. He's got his son and, you know, he's, he's bringing them him into the fold and, you know, he's with the Ravens, which is that type of environment. You know, he, he's just embraced this different side of himself that I think a lot of people didn't quite think that he had and uh, good on him for doing that. And Bateman, I mean, I think Bateman probably learned a lot from watching Odell do that. Bateman had a very difficult start to his career on and off the field, whether it was injuries, he's had personal stuff going on, which is horrible. And, uh, you know, you, you certainly root for the guy on a personal level, but professionally, I think attitudinally, he could have used some adjustments. And I think he himself would admit that. And I think he made them. And I think that's reflected uh, in his play. And not even looking at it from this 10,000 foot view, looking at it from a very granular micro point of view, his play technically has been improved a lot to me as well. He's much more physical. He's worked back to the ball a little bit better. I think uh, we saw that on the touchdown that he caught where Lamar's going one bit one way. He uh, puts his foot in the ground, goes back the other uh, and uh, comes back to it and uh, scores a touchdown there, which is a great moment for him. There are two interesting guys at very different points in their career, but it's almost like one guy at the end of his you know, makes a makes an adjustment, comes to a place, fits into the culture very well. And then another guy sort of at the beginning of his career who faced a little bit of a speed bump and had to decide who he wanted to be and what he wanted to do. And uh, I think he's made the right choices because it's starting to uh, starting to bear fruit a little bit. And I think health plays a factor in that as well. So good to see him healthy. Good to see him 
uh, attitudinally doing really well, fitting in well with these guys and uh, playing well, most importantly. Yeah. And Bateman, it's been an adjustment. I mean, he was never injured in college. It was, he came to Baltimore, had the rough injury to start his career and has kind of never, I think, been back to just having a consistent, like two or three months on the field of being healthy. And now you're starting to see him work back up. And I think it's forgotten Rashad Bateman, Odo Beckham Jr., Zay Flowers are probably the best route running trio in the NFL. Odell's an amazing route runner. Rashad Bateman came into the league. What do people talk about? It was, it was his route running. He was an incredible route runner. Zay Flowers, we know what he can do with his routes. Those three guys, and that's why I think the loss of Mark Andrews kind of stings a little bit more because it's just pick your poison. If you want to try to get all those guys off of their rhythm while well, you have Mark Andrews over the middle of the field, we know what that connection is. So coming up on the final part of the show, we will talk about Mark Andrews, his injury, the update we got earlier in the week, and a lot more. So be sure to stay tuned, plan to talk about here on the show. This episode is brought to you by Prize Picks. And if you're looking for daily fantasy sports, look no further than Prize Picks. It's awesome over there on Prize Picks. It's the most fun so many have having up to 25 times the money this football season. All you have to do is select two or more players, pick more or less in the projected stats, and place your entry. With basketball season here, you can now pick combo projections across football and basketball from the specials league. It's the league created specifically for combo projections that include two or more players in different sports or leagues. For example, if you're a big LeBron James fan, you can pick LeBron James and Travis Kelsey at a 10 and a half combo of three-pointers made in receptions. If you want to play alongside some of Price Picks' favorite players like Rafferty McMillan, Comedian, and Andrew Schultz, you can. You can find the Community Plays page under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Price Picks community each week. Plus, Price Picks offers a really awesome reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. Football, basketball games, if you have a player who exits the game in the first half and does not return in the second, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with injury insurance policies. So go to pricepix.com slash LockdownNFL and use code LockdownNFL. For a first boss match up to $100, it's pricepix.com slash LockdownNFL. Use code LockdownNFL for a first boss match up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy. We're rounding out Locked on Ravens here with Jake Luke. I am Kevin Ostreicher. And Jake, although the Bengals win was awesome, unfortunately, injuries did play a part, not just for the Bengals, for the Ravens as well. Mark Andrews goes down with that hip drop tackle from Logan Wilson, which has caused a bunch of kind. Con- Let's start there. What's your take on the hip drop? I... Did anyone, had anyone heard that term before the other night? Had you heard that term? Once, because it happened with Geno Smith, and I think they made a deal of it then. But I think the term itself is relatively new, right? Okay. Yeah. This is kind of, I don't know. And Logan Wilson, like, I certainly think his play can be dirty at times. Do I think it's intentionally dirty? No, I think the guy just runs around a million miles an hour and he wants to make plays. Um, And it's really the same argument that I would use with Roquan Smith against the Bengals. What was that? The end of last year Um, when, you know, they were, they were complaining about him being dirty. It's like, this is a violent sport guys. Like we've just got to accept that at a certain point. And I don't know, like, could his form have been a little bit better on the Mark Andrews one? Sure. You know, do I want him hurting Lamar Jackson? Certainly not. But like at a certain point, we've just got to accept that football is football and you're moving 1 million miles compared to anything that we do in our normal life. These guys are moving a million miles an hour and they have one thought on their mind, bring that guy down to the ground and stop this play from progressing forward. So that's what they're doing. If you want to put him into a classroom and say, hey, here's some technique. Let's brush up on it. Let's try to be better next time. I'm fine with that. But I don't know. All this stuff about hip drop and this and that and trying to impugn the guy's character. I certainly have no love for the Bengals. I have no freaking love for Logan Wilson. Don't mistake uh, that. But, you know, at, at a certain point, it, these guys are professionals and they're out there trying to do a job. And if we're going to make a judgment call that 
you know, he had this intent or that intent to hurt a guy when he's just trying to do his job, moving a million miles an hour with a lot of chaos happening around him. I don't know. I, I just don't feel authorized to make that judgment. And I think that, again, Mark Andrews will be exhibit A. I know that we had an injury in college football. You know, that was one Florida State. That'll be another exhibit of that. But there are already so many restrictions on defenders as there is. Like at this point, the NFL has made it a player safety game. And I mean, it should be about the player safety first and foremost. But for example, if Logan Wilson doesn't make that tackle, and of course, you hate to see Andrews go down, right? Like that's the worst part of it. But what's to say Andrews doesn't just bully his way into the end zone for a touchdown and then Logan Wilson, you know, gets flack for it. He gets yelled at in meetings. He gets his role reduced. And it's just, we've, we've seen Ravens players after the game, Patrick Queen talked about it. Marcus Williams talked about it. And they said, look, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but football is football and you got to bring the guy down. And it's going to be a conversation point. I know there have been rumors that the NFL is going to look to ban it. We will see how that unfolds, but it's unfortunate how it happened for Mark Andrews, obviously wishing a speedy recovery. We did get the update from John Harbaugh on Monday that maybe there's an outside chance Andrews returns. Obviously, Ian Rappaport saying the cracked fibula, the ligament injury with the ankle didn't look great when it happened. Andrews was clearly in a ton, a ton of pain. But how do you think this Ravens offense adjusts, Jake, if Andrews isn't able to suit back up for the rest of the year, if he's not able to make that return on that outside chance? Yeah, I guess this is where uh, Todd Monken is going to have to make his money a little bit, right? I, I've been pretty impressed with uh, with the way that he's done things thus far, but I do think Mark Andrews obviously was a big part of that. So how do you adjust? Uh, and I'm really I'm looking forward more to seeing that than seeing how Isaiah likely steps up. I feel like we kind of know who Isaiah likely is at this point in his career. I think he could be a good tight end, but I don't think he'll ever be great quite like Mark Andrews. He's just a little stiff for me, a little upright. I don't know if he quite has that same uh, that same above the rim type uh, capability that Andrews does. So I don't know. It's just getting creative with how you use likely to get him open because he is certainly very athletic uh, and he's just fixing some of the concentration stuff. Some of the drops that he's had has had uh, can, you know, have been a little bit bad at times. So fix that up uh, and see what you can do with him if you're monking and then maybe try to uh, mix in Kolar. And I believe they signed Vokalek back today uh, as we're recording this. Um, I'm not, maybe I'm wrong on that. I, I thought I saw something on Twitter, but yeah, it's just about getting creative with those two guys, figuring out what you've gotten them over the next couple of weeks. And then when playoff uh, time comes, hopefully, uh, hopefully they're ready to rock. Um, and I mean, really, hopefully Andrews can come back during the playoffs at some point, as you mentioned with that update, but I guess we'll see. Yeah. I, I think John Harbaugh, and again, people were talking about it, make the point that the Ravens are much better equipped now to deal with something like this than they were in years past. And I, I arguably, I mean, I think Mark Andrews is the player on offense. You could not afford to lose, not name Lamar Jackson. Like he is the second most important player, to my opinion. You, you can make a couple different cases, Linderbaum, depending on how you feel about Stanley, which I know he's not played up to Ronnie Stanley standards, but you could even maybe put Zay Flowers in that conversation. But the, the chemistry Lamar and Mark have, it, you can't replicate it. It's not about replacing Mark Andrews. It's about who can step up in the present or in the absence of Mark Andrews. But I think four receiver sets too. You could you could use that. You could put likely in the slot. I mean, four receiver sets with Beckham, Aguilar, and then Flowers and Bateman. You could use that. The Ravens obviously have worked to revamp that passing game. I think with Andrews out, it's a big blow, especially in the middle of the field. But you have these route runners. You have the deep threats, and I think maybe you start to push the ball down the field a little bit more if you're Baltimore. Around this time last year, we would be having this conversation with Deshaun Jackson, Sammy Watkins, James Prochet. Like, yeah, they're way more equipped to handle this, I think. And, uh, you know, it's really a feather in their cap because they tried to make that thing work, that kind of no wide receivers. 
kind of thing. Just run everything through Mark Andrews, run everything through the run game. They got some good, you know, football out of it. They got a lot of wins out of it, but at a certain point it was time to evolve and they've done that. And uh, I think it's going to bear fruit here over the next, next couple of weeks. I'm pretty optimistic they'll be able to handle it. And uh, hopefully Andrews can come back because he obviously is kind of the, uh, the straw that stirs the drink there as far as the receiving core. Yeah. And I know that they would get a huge boost if he was able to return in the playoffs. We'll see if it actually happens or not. But the Ravens do have a tough schedule coming up. They got the Chargers Sunday night football. Then they have the bye, but then they have a stretch of games. Rams and Jaguars are in there. 49ers, Dolphins, Steelers. How are you feeling about the rest of the season? Yeah, no, it's uh, it's going to be a grind, man. I think uh, I probably got them winding up around 11 and, or uh, 12 and 5, I should say. Excuse me. Um, it's going to be it's going to be tough, but I think they're well equipped. I think this is a battle tested team. I think you talk about the leadership that they've got in a Roquan Smith and some of these guys in Lamar Jackson stepping up in that way with Beckham's veteran uh, veteran experience. They're uh, they're weathered to handle some storms here, and there are certainly some coming up. But uh, I'm optimistic they'll be able to uh, navigate those waters uh, calmly, and uh, they'll they'll come out the other side. Eight, eight and three football team, second of four primetime games. Ravens are actually done with home primetime games, which is kind of crazy. They got three on the road, then one at home, but they uh, use their their blackout. It was a Incredible scene at MIT Bank Stadium. We'll see if they can move that to nine and three, though, Jake. I appreciate you. Thanks for hopping on. Tell people where they can find you and what you're working on as the season continues. Yep, it's at Jake Luke on Twitter. That's L O U Q U E. And uh, it's Exit 52 Podcast all the time. You can uh, follow him on Twitter at Exit 52 Podcast. Uh, I've got the uh, Jumbo Set, which is me and Spencer's uh, little pet project where we just kind of talk Ravens once a week. That is on the very same feed which is X of 52 podcast on podcast platforms and on YouTube as well. Shoot us a, uh, a subscribe there and uh, go and like and comment on all our videos to uh, help the algorithm out. But uh, thanks again, Kevin. Always a pleasure to chat with you, bud. Absolutely. And you heard the man, go follow him, go subscribe. The links will be all in the description below. Jake, I appreciate you again. Thank you for tuning in to Locked on Ravens today. Again, be sure to subscribe in video form on YouTube. Also in audio form as well. Same show both ways. Coming up tomorrow, we'll have more Ravens content Thanksgiving edition. So be sure to stay tuned for that. I'll see you right back here tomorrow on Locked on Ravens.